Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about people and organizations making a big difference in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan, and our first guest is the founder of Our Calling, Pastor Wayne Walker. How are you doing, Wayne? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on this morning. Well, let me tell you something. We are so glad to have you because in the middle of this heat wave, you've been doing amazing things here in North Texas. I saw one of your television interviews where you were actually helping homeless people find some shelter in this heat. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So we specifically work with people that are not in shelters, mm -hmm. so the unsheltered community. So those folks that are sleeping outside under the bridges, you know, living outside in these terrible conditions. You know, we've had some of the hottest days of some people's lifetimes right now, and it's just really challenging to keep people safe with heat exhaustion and heat stroke. And so every day we're always trying to get people off the streets. And right now it's more important than ever, just kind of like when it's freezing outside. We want to help preserve individuals' lives. And so we have, um, you know, real extensive process. So we're not just handing out blankets and bottles of water. Uh, those things are important, and we do that. But really, it's trying to help people get off the streets. It's one of the two most important questions we ask everybody every day is, can we help you off the streets? And so it's connecting to the local shelters. But even beyond that, because we only have six shelters in Dallas, a lot more opportunities. Uh, we call them exit strategies from homelessness. Mm -hmm. So we have about 200 different strategies to get someone off the streets. And really, the way we get to know someone through relational equity helps us figure out what's the best fit for them. So for some people, getting off the street might be you know, a rapid rehousing scenario or getting them to some kind of government-funded housing program. But for others, it might be a nursing home. It might be a group home where someone can be there to help cook their meals. It might be reconnecting them with their family back home. It could be a shelter bed, although we don't have many available beds in Dallas right now. But it also could be a long-term psychotherapeutic place where they can really address mental health care needs, physical needs, or maybe addiction recovery facility, a long-term discipleship program. We just really have lots of options or lots of tools in our toolbox to help people get off these streets. I love the way you put that. And again, on your website at OurCalling.org, it's not a soup kitchen, not a shelter. Our Calling is a faith-based organization that leads the homeless to, li to live a healthy and sustainable lifestyle by building lasting relationships and making d disciplines on the street. I like that, and I also like the fact that your phrase is, every gift makes an impact. And again, I'm only bringing this up because everybody's dealing with it. Over the last umpteen days, we've had triple-digit heat. 
How has that affected what you do? And, and talk about some of the specifics you've been doing lately, because that's absolutely amazing. Well, some of the practical needs that really impacts us are, you know, for example, we had one of our air conditioners in our facility go out. You know, we have three to 500 people a day that come in here and, you know, it's not like go get a window unit as, I mean, this is a crane, you know, putting this giant, you know, tonnage Um, and people have uh, need a place to go during the day. And so, you know, our electric bill is going up just as high as everybody else. Our gas bill is going up for all of our street outreach teams, but the heat really impacts the way we serve individuals that come in and we kind of evaluate how they're doing physically. And then as we go out and serve, we have teams going out all over the city. We visited almost 2,000 locations this year so far. You know, they're carrying not only cold water and, you know, all the physical hygiene and health items that individuals need, but really checking on them, you know, using some first aid and, you know, connecting them to, you know, long-term health partners to try to figure out, is this person healthy, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want anybody to ever sleep outside. But unfortunately, there's not enough room in the inn, right? Like Mm -hmm. the story in the Bible, there's just not enough beds in the city for people. Now, from a, you know, practical standpoint, we can talk about, you know, cost going up and teams going out and how hot it is to work outside and all that other stuff. But the reality is, and the most important thing is how this impacts the people that we serve. Mm -hmm. So we've got lots of individuals that are elderly, a lot that have compromised immune systems or, you know, multimorbidity or multiple physical challenges in their health that makes this health, the, the season here not only dangerous, but fatal. We've seen a number of deaths this year so far that are heat related. And so our teams are the ones that are under bridges. We're in the woods. We're mm-hmm. crawling deep in the woods, you know, near abandoned buildings and sometimes in them looking for folks. And we have found people in the absolute worst conditions, dying or who have deceased. And then, you know, working with all the professional agencies, the city, the first responders and families to try to, you know, unpack what happened and, and figure out how to care for them. But this heat is not just an annoyance, right? When you get out of your car and you try to walk into an office building, for many people, it's a reality that can be fatal. Yeah, yeah a reality that's, that can be fatal. And again, sometimes they run away from people who could possibly help. You guys wear green. And I think that helps because maybe they're either friends of people who are homeless or under the bridges that say, hey, these guys are the good guys. I mean, does that help at all that you have some sort of uniformity? It does. You know, we've got bright green shirts on. And for us, you know, green is the color of growth and Mm -hmm. we want to see people grow. It's also the color of the directional signs on the road, you know, how many miles until the next road and the exit signs are green. So we're really having to help helping to get people direction, helping them exit homelessness. And we want to see them, you know, in a healthy community and being in a bright green shirt. It just helps uh, our homeless friends, you know, recognize us under a bridge. They know we're the good guys. You know, so many people pull up to a bridge and so many people get out of their car. Some of them are there for nefarious reasons. I mean, there's a lot of sex trafficking going on. There's a lot of prostitution. There's a lot of abuse and drug deals. There's a lot of people that are going down there trying to hire someone all day to work outside in this heat for 10 bucks. You know, even human trafficking, almost Mm -hmm. slave labor kind of situation. Mm -hmm. But they know when we pull up. They know our green shirts. Our partners know our green shirts. The police identify us by our green shirts. And they know, you know, where we are, when we're there, and and really – you know, we're there really to help. And so it just helps us build a trust with individuals. It helps us build, you know, relational equity. You mentioned earlier that, you know, some people might run away and say, hey, I don't need any help. Well, we don't see that. 
right? So nationally, about 80% of people that are slip- sleeping outside refuse all services. Right. They're not interested, get away, don't right. but not with our calling. Because of the relationships we've built and because of the reputation we have, we actually see opposite that. We see about 80% of the people that we engage start receiving some of our services, start engaging in long-term relationships, start re- engaging in you know care ministry or case management, so we can really get down to the heart of the matter. So when you trust someone, right, you're willing to mm-hmm. listen to them, you're w- willing to be listened to, and it's really those trust factors that enable us to do you know what we do. I'll, I'll tell you a story. We um, we have an app, a mobile app, and you know we we have this app where people can report homeless encampments around the city. And you know lately, some you know, we're getting lots of reports all over the city. Someone sees it, you see a panhandler, you can report it to us, or you're walking around the Katy Trail or White Rock Lake and you see a tent deep in the woods, Mm -hmm. take a picture, send it to us. It'll send us the GPS coordinates. That's what we do. But then when we walk in the woods and they see a green shirt coming, often they'll know who we are. And if not, their campmates know who we are. And so we have built these relational opportunities to get to know people and serve them. And, And sometimes that means that you know, they'll trust us enough to, to figure out what's really going on. They'll share with us their stories. Well, one guy, one, one place that was reported to us, uh, our teams went out and met an individual. And, you know, he, he looks like what most people would say is a stereotypical, scary-looking homeless guy, mm-hmm. right? Big, long beard and backpacks and looks like he needs a shower. But if our team goes out there and they build a relationship with him, we realize he's not scary. He, he's not filthy. Uh, emotionally, he's not filthy. You know, mentally, he just needs help. And it'd be easy to pick him up and, you know, take him to a shelter and drop him off or give him a shower or a shave. But our team is able to dig deep and get to know someone on an intimate level. This particular individual we found out had significant cognitive disabilities. So he couldn't even speak well, and nor could he um, share with us all the details of his life. But because we kept going out in those green shirts and he knew he could trust us and we built these relational opportunities with him, we were able to find out not only that he was a missing person, but we were able to reconnect him with his family. Wow. So we were able to fly in one of his family members to go with us on street outreach so that he could reconnect with family. We brought in his mom from Atlanta. Um, we were able to connect her to her son, who he didn't even recognize her at first, but then we're able to get him to go home with her. And mm-hmm. so now he's in a healthy home where he's getting the mental health care he needs. He's getting the medical support he needs. And he's no longer a missing person, and he's not sleeping in a shelter, and he's not in some free apartment in South Dallas, but he's actually in community. And community really is the is the number one um, contributor, right, to homelessness is broken community. Mm-hmm. It's not addiction. Right. It's not you know. It's not mental health. It's really that broken community when when there's no one there to help you when you fall. There's no one there to help you when you can't pay your rent or you get sick or your car breaks down. There's no one there to help you when your house burned down. It's that broken community that we see as the number one predictor of homelessness. And if we can be a part of that community in a green shirt, it just gives us an opportunity to to be a family member for those that don't have family. I love what you're doing because you're reconnecting. You're taking it next level. You're actually, you know, saving souls, saving lives. But you're actually doing something other than being a Band-Aid, so to speak. And there's a need for Band-Aids. You know, we wouldn't be able to get by without Band-Aids or having some homeless shelters or having situations where they can temporarily take care of people. But I like the fact that you guys dig a little bit deeper. Uh, We're talking with 
Wayne Walker, Pastor Wayne Walker, he is the founder of Our Calling. And you're talking about reaching out to people who one way or the other became disconnected from their community or their family. Can you talk about how you first started doing this? Because you've been around for a little while. Well, I mean, my story, my personal story probably is impacted on how we we got here. Um, When I was a kid, my parents, who are amazing people, uh, they chose to become foster parents and uh, take a bunch of kids into our home. And so it's from an early age, I've been around homeless folks, homeless individuals. But to me, they're not, you know, a a volunteer opportunity, they're brothers and sisters, they're family members. And so the same challenges that we see on the streets every day, I grew up with, with people in our home who had been abused and came to our home or been exposed to horrors and trauma and from sexual assault and physical assault. And and so those kids that were fleeing those environments came to our home and we were able to you know, provide a respite care for them during their time of, 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 of trauma. And so growing up in that home and you know, being a kid who rebelled and got in a lot of trouble himself, you know, I, I had an amazing story where, you know, I was suicidal and, and uh, you know, hurt myself in lots of different ways and was an addict and kind of had this come to mo- Jesus moment mm-hmm. um, in uh, like high school and college. And I knew I wanted to go into ministry. So I met my wife in college at SFA. We came down uh, to, up to Dallas to go to seminary. And so while I was in seminary, I just started working with homeless men and women in Dallas. My wife and I have always done this together. I mean, she's she's here at, at our office with me every day. And, uh, you know, we started going out under bridges and feeding people. And to me, it was like seeing my brothers and sisters, right? To mm-hmm. me, you know, sitting down and with a guy who ha- had been horribly abused as a child and now hates himself. You know, I know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people I did at the time who, who had lived through that scenario. And so being able to be a comfort, being able to be an ear, being able to be a shoulder they could cry on was just something that kind of I was hardwired to do. And it's not because I'm some hero you know, or anything like that. It's just because my parents exposed me to caring for people. And you know, now my wife and I have exposed our kids to caring for people. And so we started you know, going out and doing more than just a sandwich and a bottle of water, building relationships. And also because I'm a pastor leading Bible studies, Mm -hmm. you know, we just got um, we ran out of space and uh, needed to put more time in it. And, you know, we didn't want to start a nonprofit. Um, You really I would have loved to have worked for a shelter. But, you know, at the time, none of the shelters were really doing outreach outside of their facility. And so as we wanted to do outreach, you know, to those on the streets, to those under bridges, to those, you know, behind the liquor store, um, you know, we just started having people join us and volunteering and we just got a little bit bigger. And so now we're a fairly decent sized organization. Um, but specifically with those unsheltered individuals, I mean, if you think about homelessness, only 20% of people experiencing homelessness are in shelters. So the other 80% are outside. Wow. They're not in a shelter. Yeah. Right? And so if, if even from a businessman perspective, which I, I was in business for a while, you know, you want to have the greatest market share, and the greatest market share to serve people is not in the shelter. It's really um, under bridges. It's behind buildings. It's it's like even our facility, and we do have a beautiful facility near downtown. We're right near Farmer's Market, um, it, but it's a zero barrier, so anybody can come. We're not checking your ID. We're not right. passing you down. Open not, spaces. You know, yeah, just come on in. Yeah. So we have 
We, that's why we have, you know, it's a welcoming space. And so we see victims of human trafficking and sex trafficking, domestic violence every day. We have elderly folks, people with cognitive disabilities, runaways, families, you know, all kinds of individuals that come in and out of here. And while they're here, right, they only came here today for laundry. They only came here to get out of the air conditioning. They only came in here for a hot meal. Okay, that's great. But while you're here, our team has time with you to really engage and figure out why you're homeless and how we can help you off the streets. So we have two questions we focus on every day. The first one is, will you trust the Lord? I'm a pastor. I believe that we were created by God to have a relationship with him, and the restoration of that is very important. But also, I'm also a Christian pastor, which means we don't require anybody to believe in anything. We don't Mm -hmm. require you to follow Jesus. We're not forcing you to say a prayer or any of that silly stuff. You know, in our Christian faith, we are very um, exclusive about what we believe, but completely inclusive in who we serve. So we don't care who you are and how you identify or who you sleep with. I mean, that's between you and and, and, and you know, your, your partner. But for us, we want to love everyone as we ask them that question, would you be interested in, in knowing who Jesus is? And the second question, will you let us help you off the street? And that help you off the street is actually a science. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a process that we've developed over years. Uh, I'm a number nerd, so we collect a ton, a ton of data. We've written a bunch of apps. And uh, as of today, I'm looking at my computer right now, we have helped 952 people off the streets this year since January 1st. Wow. So almost 1,000 this year alone. And having the strategy to not only get them into the right place and then track retention that they stay there you know, is, is really a, a, an art and a science combined with some technology we developed to really help um, you know, build, bring 21st century you know, um, technology and, and business practices into the world of trying to serve this real vulnerable population. You know, you, you mentioned these numbers. You mentioned you're a numbers nerd right from your website, which is absolutely phenomenal, by the way. Um, you have the numbers for people who aren't aware. Uh, I'm just going to throw them at you. These are numbers you already know because you live it. It says the understanding the Dallas homeless population, the number of people experiencing homelessness in Dallas is growing at a faster rate than ever before. Four out of five homeless people are unsheltered, as you mentioned, living in the streets, under bridges, or behind dumpsters. There's a 500% increase in unsheltered homelessness over the last five years. 9% are veterans. 75% are over the age of 40. 32% are women. And these numbers are mind-blowing and eye-popping for those who are not aware. And I think a lot of people are aware who listen to the show that the Dallas Fort Worth area, North Texas, is booming. People are moving here from all parts of the country, and they also know that real estate, you cannot afford a house. You cannot buy a house. And you were mentioning that the people who you stereotypical think of being homeless, they're not the traditional hobo that jumps on a train. These are people no. who may be coming to Dallas, Fort Worth, or grew up here, and they just have nowhere to go. Yeah, I think it's a, there's a fallacy that every— Body experiencing homelessness panhandles. That's not right. True. Actually, probably I'd say most panhandlers are not homeless. Um, it's also a fallacy that they're all have this big duck dynasty beard, you know, and yeah. are dirty old guys, and that's not true. Um, it, it also there's, there's fallacies that they're they're all addicts, and it's all mental health, and that's not true at all. Um, there are there are more people using drugs in houses in Dallas than will ever be homeless. There are more people getting punched drunk on alcohol every day in Dallas in homes than will ever be homeless. There are more people with serious mental illness in homes than will ever be homeless. 
Now, if you were sleeping outside and you were susceptible to the weather and the heat and the mosquitoes and the fire ants, and also you were susceptible to the crime around you, you were getting assaulted on a regular basis, and you also went into businesses to use the bathroom and they told you you're not a paying customer, you have to get it out, you have to scramble around to find food, you have to scramble around to find shelter, you're probably going to end up developing because of that combined with malnourishment and lack of sleep, you're probably going to develop a mental health care issue. Mm-hmm. And you're going to probably try to self-medicate that with a beer, you know, and, and, and if the beer doesn't work, you're going to find something a little bit harder, right? It's kind of a natural progression. Mm-hmm. But most people that experience homelessness, most people that experience homelessness just look like every single person listening to this, this, this talk today. They just find themselves in an unfortunate situation. You know, there's a recipe for homelessness. And that recipe is you've got no money, you've got no community, and you've basically got any kind of crisis that happens. Right. So when you don't have money to fall back on or you don't have community and really community is the biggest one, you don't have friends, you don't have family, you have no one to call, no one to support you. Right. That's when any kind of crisis will send you over the edge. And the opportunity we have to really, you know, I'm inspired by the words of Jesus and is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Right. And to be able to go and serve people and care for those that can't be cared for and don't know how to care for themselves is is really a, a great opportunity. And as we look at those d- data points, I want to highlight a few of those points. Our unsheltered homeless population has exploded in the last five years. Now, maybe we've got better accounting, maybe we've got better, better processes, but even if you factor those things in, our unsheltered homeless population is growing at a faster rate, not a faster number, but a faster rate than New York and faster than L.A., mm. which should terrify us. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, our housing prices have skyrocketed. Yeah. You know, if you got a disability check for seven hundred twenty-five bucks a month, where are you going to buy? Where are you going to pay rent for seven hundred bucks? Nowhere. And then you got to pay groceries and electric bill and water bill and mm-hmm. transportation to a job and all this other stuff. It's just not happening. You know, we've had the greatest inflation that we've seen in decades, right? So it, it's it's not that gas is more expensive, it's that milk and bread is more expensive. And this crisis is pushing so many people that were already on the edge, they don't have money, they don't have any support network, that community factor is missing, it's a broken community, and then any little crisis would put them on the street. And this is what's so amazing. A lot of people, like you said, they, they have a stereotype in their mind, but they don't know the stories, and I know you do of what people used to do before they became homeless. I'm only going to bring up two examples. And it just kind of struck home to me years ago of how anyone can wind up homeless, even if it's temporarily. I think there was a, a Miss America uh, candidate. She was Miss Colorado, I believe, a few years ago. She talked about how her and her mother were homeless. They slept in a car uh, while she was in high school. And first they were they were friends. Then they stay with a few relatives. They were always rotating. They had no place to live, and they were able to overcome that. And then there was a a Texas media personality um, who just disappeared. His family couldn't find him. And months later, they found him under a bridge. And he just literally, for whatever the reason, could not make it all add up. Now he's back to his, his normal self again. But at that time, he had a crisis, and I know you've got some stories. Oh, man, absolutely. Um, last week, I'm in our front parking lot, and a car pulls up, and it's a nicer SUV. I think you know maybe they're a volunteer or whatever, and I just happen to be out there. And the woman rolls down the window who's driving, and she's just been crying forever. And you can see the tear streaks down her face, and she's crying. And 
ma'am, how can I help you? What's going on? And she said, I don't know where to go and what to do, uh, but I don't want to live in this car anymore. And I said, well, you are in the right place. You will not be homeless today. You will not be homeless tonight. We're going to help you right now. So she gets out of her car and she is big pregnant. So not only oh, is wow. it hot in Texas, but she's big pregnant. I mean, big pregnant. Eight so or nine months. Like about to burst. Yeah. And then followed, following her are four more children living in the car. You know, you think it's hot outside. This family had been living in their car since April. Wow. Right? They'd have a few little stints at hotels when someone put them up. But basically, they've been living in their car since April. You know, the opportunity we have to recognize that, you know, she doesn't want to be in a car. She doesn't want to be homeless. She doesn't want her kid to be kids to be homeless. She just sure doesn't want to be pregnant in this heat, homeless, to be able to connect her with some of our partners like Family Gateway, right, to mm-hmm. immediately provide her a safe place to go. And so we're able to make that connection between those that have and those that need and, you know, and, and really try, kind of be this exchange for, you know, folks in crisis. So not only did the kids get out of the car, but two of the kids didn't have shoes on. And they didn't have shoes on because they were fleeing a domestic violence situation, and they left in such a hurry that the kids didn't have shoes. Wow. I have another guy I met, and uh, he always told me he used to be a police officer. And I'm thinking that's crazy. How can you go from being a police officer to, um, you know, being being homeless? And one day we're talking, and I'd known this guy for about six months. You know, building really long-term relationships with him, really trying to get to know him well. And and then one day he reaches in his backpack. He's carried his backpack with him all the time. He's really really precious to him. And he reaches in there and said, "I want to show you something." Wayne. And he pulls out his police badge. Then he pulls out newspaper clippings with him in, on the front page of the paper with the mayor because not only was he a police officer, he was actually the chief of police My goodness! in one of the local suburbs around Dallas. Mm. He was a police officer for 25 years and found himself homeless. Now, for him, he developed a mental health care condition that kind of led to that scenario, but it also led to him being disconnected from his family, completely disconnected from his family. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And so we were able to, you know, use some of the tools readily available to us to reconnect him with his kids who hadn't seen him in over 20 years. Amazing. You know, it's... it's Again, everybody you know, has so many stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it works out great. Sometimes we connect people at the back with their family and they're living well with him. For him, the, the situation actually was horribly tragic because he was very ill and we had arranged one of his sons to fly in, I think from California to come visit him. And the day before the son flew into Dallas, the dad died at Parkland, right? Oh my. They did get to talk on the phone. They mm-hmm. did get to reunite, you mm-hmm. know, over the phone. But the day that they were supposed to have this reunion, his son shows up and, and I have to tell him, I told him before he got on the flight, but your dad died yesterday at Parkland um, because of some, you know, internal infection he had. But it's, it's sometimes we're able to see these families restored. Sometimes we're able to get them in long-term recovery programs or housing or, you know, back into the, you know, normal society kind of thing. And sometimes it's tragic, you know, in in my role, I've called lots of families to tell them that they're, you know, this is the call that you've been dreading your whole life, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's, it's still a privilege to be able to make that call because would, would, would a family rather not know and have this empty void of not knowing what happened or would they rather know, Hey, my, my child was found, but you know, this is where they were found and, and kind of what situation we had, you know, two deaths last week we were working with, and one of them was with a, a close family member um, that I think had reconnected with a, a long lost sibling. Um, it just it just happens, and it, it gets really bad. Now, you mentioned earlier, and I do want to highlight this. You talked about a, you know, Miss America pa- pageant um, contestant, yeah, contestant that, that had been homeless for a while. So, if I could get you to do something weird, and this is hard over a microphone, but if you could hold up four fingers, I want you to look at four fingers on your hand. Two of those, representing 50%, are all the people that will be homeless for only a short amount of time. 50% of all people that experience homelessness will be homeless for a really short period of time, and they'll never be homeless again. You'll experience it for a short time. They'll sleep in a car. They'll couch surf. They'll you know, stay outside for a little bit, but then 50% of them will do what's called self-resolve. They'll get off on their own. They'll reconnect with a family member. They'll apologize to their wife. They'll move back in with their parents some way, right? Mm-hmm. And we built a mobile app that really helps people connect with the resources they need to, and really helps them. 25%, another one of your fingers, represents people that need to go to a shelter. And shelters are not Band-Aids. They are amazing service providers, and they care cover all kinds of different needs that individuals have. That 25%, that third finger, is really helping to get people into housing situations. It helps get them into, you know, um, group therapy situations or recovery programs or 18-month recovery program, a six-month or 12-month, you know, sober living kind of program. And so those folks need a short-term help. But the last finger of the four fingers, the 25% that really are the most challenging are people that need long-term care. And those include, you know, people that need really like a nursing home or assisted living, mm-hmm. or they need, they have such cognitive or, or serious mental health issues that they really need care for the rest of their natural life. And unfortunately, a huge chunk of them are just dying. They're dying on the street. 
because there there aren't really uh, adequate places for them to go. And in that stage of need, they'd have long-term care. They can't take care of, of themselves in an apartment. There's no way they can cook for themselves. There's no way they can go shopping or carry a box of food on the bus back to their home. That, lo- that last piece, the last 25%, many of them need like assisted living or hospice type care or nursing home. And, you know, those options don't really exist. Um, I don't want to get into it much now, but we're working on a project that we've actually been working on for about five years. We're about to release to the public, but it is it is a new housing model specifically for those individuals that don't fit into any program that need those long term care. Interesting. Interesting. I, I love what you're saying. And so you've been working on this for years. Oh, yeah. About five years. Yeah. We've done research Are all over the close? country, visited a ton of places. We're starting to finished up all of our plans and our master planning and design work. We bought some property and, you know, we're about to, we're launching the huge fundraising campaign for it, but it's a, it's a type of housing for those individuals that uh, you really have no other option. They're just stuck out and they need, you know, assisted care for the rest of their lives. They need three meals a day handed to them, right? Mm -hmm. Not go cook for yourself. They need someone that might be able to help them you know, with their meds and, you know, mental health care on a long-term basis. You know, the average age of death for a woman on the street is 43. A study came out two years ago and confirmed that. An average age of death for a woman on the street is 43 years old. So individuals, especially women, that have suffered the most tragic, horrible abuse, for some of them, they can go into a great recovery program. But for those that have experienced that kind of abuse or trafficking for 20 plus years, it's really challenging for them to ever be expected to live yeah. on their own, right? To be, yeah. to be what we would, you know, most people would call a productive member of society. Well, that just doesn't exist for individuals. It doesn't exist for, you know, people that are elderly. It doesn't exist for people that are of retirement age. And it also doesn't exist for those who have suffered years and years of trauma. And so they need a level of service that just isn't available today. I love what I love what you talk about and I love the way you express it. And I also want to say to you, those uncomfortable phone calls that you have to make and you're talking about, you know, at least the family knows. I think that's called closure. I think there's a sense of, yes, the dreaded phone call. But at least you now know and you're not wondering and worrying and yeah. thinking if there's anything else you could do for that, that person that you care about. Uh, again, you do such great things with Our Calling and OurCalling.org is where you can find the website. But you mentioned the app. You've, you're, you're a dynamo with technology. Could, could you talk about some of the things you've got going with the technology side of Our Calling? Because I think... That's the next step. That's that's what it's all about, because all it does is allows you to help even more people. Well, you know, I used to be in the technology space and, um, you know, was a developer and kind of was in that world. And I used that actually to pay for college and pay for seminary. And and then I got tired of working on the next version of an app and really wanted to focus on the next version of a person and kind of cast all my chips in and, you know, paid for seminary and kind of we are where we are now. You know, I, I thought I'd be away from software. I'd never get into it again. But then, you know, you start serving people and, uh, you, you know, you get to about 10 people that you know and you're serving and you can't remember the first one's name anymore. Yeah. So we started building out some software years ago, about 2010, I think, 2010 or 12. 
um, to really help us manage the relationships and the process that we use to help people get off the streets. And then, so we have this internal app that we use. It really is the magic behind what we do. It connects people to the best long-term solution for them and tracks their retention status and GPS coordinates where they're living and all this other fun stuff. And then we have another app that we made that really is the help. It's like Yelp for homelessness. So you go to the app store and you search for our calling, you'll see our app on Android and iPhone. And it really helps find the closest local shelter. Where's the place I can feed my kids? Where's the place I can go to get off the streets? Where's the domestic violence center? And the stories we hear are just miraculous. I mean, it's a family. It's a mom who's living in her car with her two-year-old fleeing domestic violence who opens up this app and now can find a safe place to go. And so we built it for Dallas, and then people started downloading it all over the country. And now it delivers millions of referrals a month all over the U.S. I mean, I think it delivered 140,000 referrals a day in the month of March. Um, So it's coast to coast. People are opening up their phones saying, where can I eat today? Where's the closest shelter? And you you can't use Google for that, right? So if you Google shelter, you're going to get a storm shelter or animal shelter, you know, businesses that have shelter in the name. But what are really shelters, a place I can sleep? What what really Mm -hmm. is a place I can go for mental health care? Where's a place I can go for substance abuse? Where's a place I can go for domestic violence, right? Mm -hmm. And an anonymous and safe way for someone to look for those resources in their phone. And it's an expensive project for us. We don't, you know, make a dime off of it. And everybody who downloads the app downloads it for free. But it's a way for us to really serve the community. And, you know, we thought Dallas needed it, but apparently a lot more people did because, like I said, it's it's used every single day all over the country, coast to coast. And now a few other countries are starting to use it and download it. So it used to point to, you know, 20 or 100 service providers in the mm-hmm. Dallas area. Now it has about 110,000 different vetted agencies listed in it across the country. And, and people are submitting them for other cities and states and countries as well. This is so amazing and so impressive. Again, everything you're doing is amazing and impressive. It's, you're not doing it alone. I know you've got a staff and I know you have volunteers. Can you talk about your staff and the volunteers and if anybody wanted to volunteer on that level? Yeah, absolutely. So we have the most amazing staff. We have about 60 something, about 60 staff members here. And these are, you know, paid employees, insurance and all the sure. normal stuff. And so they're every day, you know, putting on a green shirt and going out in the woods or serving folks in our facility uh, all over Dallas County. Um, the most amazing folks that are helping in our facility with operations or a program team, you know, really with those hard questions. And every day, like today, they were working with a domestic violence victim and trying to find which domestic violence center has a bed available that we could get someone in today and then, you know, helping them get there. Um, and then volunteers, we have about 3,000 volunteers a year. Uh, Pre-COVID, we were about 4,000 volunteers. So not all of them have come back yet. Mm-hmm. And really the hardest volunteer spots for us to fill, and this is true probably at every organization, but the, the time when we need most volunteers is the hardest time to fill, which is Monday through Friday, you know, like eight to three. It's really hard to get people, you know, um, that can come Monday through Friday, eight to three, that can help, you know, sit down with an iPad with someone and make mm-hmm. sure they get the right size pair of shoes or help with prepping a meal or help, you know, um, making sure someone can get in a shower and, you know, just the basic volunteer needs that we have. We have we have volunteer opportunities six days a week. And, of course, we have tons of churches and groups that come here as well. But it's really those eight to five or eight to three volunteers Monday through Friday is the toughest for us to fill. 
But we couldn't do this without an army. And it's not in our calling thing. We have the most amazing partners in the city. We've got six shelters and a bunch of other service providers. And we could not do what we do without Austin Street. We couldn't do what we do without Union Gospel Mission or The Bridge or Dallas Life or Salvation Army or Family Gateway or The Stewpot and Metro Dallas Homeless Alliance and all these other agencies. We all work together. And, you know, this isn't the Our Calling show. It's a, it's a show that all these agencies together are making a huge impact. All of us are working collectively to help people get off the street, to work with the city, with the police department, with the hospitals, to collectively try to figure out how do we love our neighbors well. Every agency does things a little bit differently. We all have our own little niche of who we serve and how we serve. But you know, as a team, as a city, we have an opportunity, and with the people listening to this, every single person can participate. There's not a person that listens to this that can't help. They could help by going to a website. They could help by making a donation. They could help by coming and volunteering. Or they could do the same for one of our partners. And it's an opportunity for everyone in the city. When you see that guy on the street and you don't know what to do, he's laying there on the sidewalk. You can be a part of a team that can help get him off the street. And that's the invitation um, you know, to people that are listening. Absolutely amazing. Wayne, before we let you get out of here, I always want to ask the question, especially of a guest like you, who's got such a great organization that people either want to be a part of, have been a part of, um, look forward to as an organization, a church, or as an individual to be a part of. Is there anything that we did not discuss that you'd like to bring up? You know, I'm going to just highlight a few things that we did discuss again, just because I think they're important. One, I would encourage everyone to download their Our Calling app. You can use it to help your neighbors. You can use it to help people in need. You can use it to point people to services or find services yourself if you're in need of the services or even report locations where you see someone who has a need. There's a there's a feature in there where you can, you know, take a picture of a bridge that, you know, where you think people are living and our teams will go. I want to encourage people to download the app. I also want to encourage individuals to get involved, to go to our website, ourcalling.org, and find ways that you can serve, find ways you can volunteer, find ways you can give. You know, we, we give out 1,500 clothing items a week, but every single one of those items are tied to an, an individual person that has a need. And we only take clean stuff, you know, nothing dirty, nothing old, nothing ratty. Gently used. You know, we, 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 <laughs> we go by the model, would your mom, right? right. Would your mom wear that? Would your right. mom do that? Would your mom want to be talked to that way? If exactly. not, that's not cool. We start over. So, you know, I would encourage people to download our app. I'd encourage them to go to our website and find ways that they can get involved in what we do. And I would encourage them to pray for their neighbors. When you see someone under a bridge, you see that guy on the corner, you see that family in a parking lot. They need help. They need physical help. They need emotional help. They need mental help, and they need spiritual help. And I think as a community, we can do a lot more than just give them something, and we can do a lot more than just praying for them. But I think together we can help provide for all those needs on a holistic level, but only if everybody contributes to this process. Wayne, outstanding words, words to live by. We've got to get you on the show again real soon. Is that a, is that a possibility? Let's do it, man. All right. Wayne Walker, he is the founder of OurCalling.org. With all of this heat we're dealing with, it's perfect timing for me to introduce our chief meteorologist at KRLD 1080, Dan Brunoff. Dan, how you doing, buddy? Hey, you're doing great, Chris. How you doing? 
you are the guy everybody wants to hear from right now because we are dealing with triple digits in North Texas, in the state of Texas, in fact, different parts of the country. First of all, you tell me how long this is supposed to last. Well, that's the $100,000 question, and I get that asked quite often here here, here recently. And, uh, it, you know, seven-day forecast is about as far out as I'll go to be, uh, you know, as accurate as possible. Uh, but, you know, you get into the weeks and months, seasons, um, they're more of a trend. Mm-hmm. So what I normally tell people is that um, it doesn't look good. Um, so far, I guess, as of uh, Thursday, last Thursday, uh, we've had 47 consecutive days of no rain at DFW, measurable rain, and 25 triple-digit days, and 20 is average for a calendar year. So we're already above that, and we got more coming uh, you know, into next week as well. So with a drought in place and La Nina, we've got a La Nina, cool, uh, cooler waters in the uh, equatorial Pacific, uh, and El Nino, which is warming of the water in the right. equatorial Pacific, we're in a La Nina pattern, and typically that trend uh, is below normal on precipitation. And goodness, we're we're approaching 10 inches below average here at DFW this year, and uh, above average on temperature. And this year, that's been the trend. We're well above average on temperatures, and again, like I said, we're about 10 inches below. So I tell people just a drought. When you're in a drought, and you get high pressure overhead like we always do in the upper levels in the summer. We get hot, of course, mm-hmm. uh, but with zero soil moisture, you know, a drought just exacerbates the problem uh, and makes these high-pressure ridges stronger uh, than they would be if we saw a bunch of rain like we did last year. Remember, we only had like eight or nine triple-digit days, but we saw a very rainy spring. This spring has been dry, so it's a long-winded question for, for a quick, uh, uh, long-winded answer for a quick question. Uh, it's not looking good. Uh, we need a tropical system to come in from the Gulf. Nothing big, but something that will shoot up into North Texas. Uh, it usually takes a, a flood to break the drought. So we'll, we'll see what happens here as we get into August and September. This is this is absolutely amazing with all the, like you said, dry heat. And anybody that lives in North Texas, a lot of people have moved here, but anybody who's lived in North Texas for a while knows that it doesn't, it doesn't start cooling off until like October. So... It's like we're just halfway fit. We're halfway through this, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, but we're about a little over. We're about a month um, into summer so far. We still got two more months on the calendar. Uh, and I always say that when the State Fair of Texas starts towards the tail end, as we get in early October, like we're saying, mm-hmm. you usually get your first decent cold front through here. But you know, cooler temperatures would be great. But you know, the the rain situation, uh, the drought is just continues to get worse and worse. We're in extreme to an exceptional drought across all of North Texas, except the Red River right now. And those are the two highest levels you can get um, on the scale. And almost 100 percent of the state now in some form of drought, a little bit better in deep south Texas and along the Red River where they've seen a little bit more rain this year. But uh, goodness, now up to 56 percent, extreme to exceptional. Uh, and this time last year, Zero percent of the state was in an extreme exception drought, so that kind of gives you an idea of what we're dealing with right now. We're talking to the guy everybody wants to hear from right now, Chief Meteorologist Dan Brunoff. And, and Dan, did you guys see this coming in the spring? In other words, back in April or May, could you see triple digits of this, you know, this length and this extension? I mean, I, I know, you know, you guys can project a little bit, but could you kind of see it going to be a hot, a long, hot summer, a dry summer? 
Yeah, every trend since April. So they're, they come out with these 30-day trend forecasts. NOAA does the Climate Prediction Center uh, for entire months. And in April, they were had above average on uh, temperatures and below average on precipitation. And then the May outlook and the June outlook and then the July outlook came out. Um, they're not always in stone. I'm, again, I'm not a believer of 30-day forecasts, but it's pretty easy to forecast summer here because we know it's going to be hot either mm-hmm. way. Um, and the triple digits, uh, as far as putting a number of value on a day, 30 days out, that's, that's almost impossible to do. But as I stated before, when you, when you have a drought in place, um, it just, these ridges that come over us, these high pressure ridges, uh, that make us hot either way in the summer, uh, make it worse. And zero, not zero humidity, but you go to Phoenix, for instance. Yeah, that's dry heat. They call, they, yeah. That's a dry heat, right? And a lot of people thinking, okay, dry heat, it's a desert, but, you know, sand doesn't hold water. It just runs off, and so they always have low humidity. So dry air heats up faster than humid air, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's why we're seeing all these triple digits so far uh, here this summer uh, because we don't have the soil moisture. So if it were humid, Mm -hmm. then we may have upper 90s, right? Mm -hmm. But you'll have a lot more humidity and it's going to feel like 105 to 110. Surface temperature won't be that, but the, the heat index will make it feel like that. So what would you rather have, a dry heat where you can get out and still do some activity outside and not sweat as much or have it cooler? And in the record books, we can say we had five triple-digit days this summer. Boy, it was a cool summer. But talk to the people that work outside and the humidity, and they're saying, no, this is this is the hottest summer I've worked in in a long time. So, this is just yeah. crazy. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And you know what? I, when I talk to people about dry heat versus Texas heat you, with the humidity, so we're, we're in a more of a, a, a dry heat situation. But usually in Texas, if it's, you know, humid, it's, you know, 99 at at 7 o'clock in the evening, and they have the weather guys on at 10 o'clock, and they say, currently outside, it's 98, and it's like 94 when you wake up the next day. That's, that's kind of like Texas heat. Am I wrong? Well, yeah. I mean, you can drop 10 degrees off the, the morning lows <laughs> into the 80s, but, but yeah. still, yeah. I mean, that's that's what happens here um, and in the summertime, but we just hope. I mean, it's it's a double-edged sword. I mean, yeah. you want it to be have a dry heat, but then the farmers and the people right. that rely on rainfall uh, are area lakes, uh, rationings of water, drinking mm-hmm. water, so you can water your plants in your yard. Yeah, there's restrictions on that now. Um, so you live in Texas, so you pretty much say to yourself, okay, June, July, and August, and a little bit of September, um, first half of September, you know, brace ourselves and the word acclimation um, comes, the word comes into mind. You slowly acclimate yourself. These, these construction workers, roofers. I don't know how they do uh, it. Emergency responders. Yes. Fires, all the grass fires going on. I mean, hats off to these uh, men and women that are out there. Um, oh, yeah, they're the real heroes. More comfortable for us and, and, and putting out the fires. and, and uh, But they get acclimated to it over an extended period of time. But if you're working aggressively like fighting a grass fire um and you're out there and it's 110 degrees out in the middle of nowhere and you got a thousand acres burning and it's it, it can put a big stress on, on the body you know so it's it's important to to stay hydrated it's important to uh, take breaks um and you see a lot of these guys out on and gals on the uh 
on Interstate 35W, they're we're widening that. Mm-hmm. And you look at them when you drive by because they're always stuck in traffic anyway out there, and they're covered head to toe. They got they have the little bandanas over That's their true. And over their head, all long the sleeved, yeah, legs. gloves. And they use kind of a, a mesh clothing. Uh, some of them were in this light colored and loose fitted. So when you sweat underneath that and you get a breeze, it, it actually cools you off. Hmm. Because it's evaporative cooling going on, similar how your air conditioners work, but not nearly that cool, of course. But that's they do that to protect your skin, but also it helps trap the heat in. So when you get a breeze, you actually feel cool, especially when you're in the shade. So it's a little trick uh, that a lot of them uh, do out there. So uh, uh, could I do it? Yeah. Would I really want to do it? Probably not. But, you know, they say someone has to do it. And, boy, I tell you, I appreciate all those people out there working uh, their tails off to know help us out in some form or fashion exactly and i'm glad we got you on talking about this because i know you know a lot of different tips that people can use because you know a lot of people listening to this show they're out there in the fields they're you know they're farmers or they're ranchers or they might be in the gig economy they might be doing some uh uber or they might be amazon drivers or they might be you know prime you just never know who's out and about they might be working you know oil fields Mm -hmm. you have no idea who's out there working so even if it's just Average families getting out and about. Give, can you give some tips to kind of stay safe, uh, stay safe in this triple-digit weather? Well, as the, just the the average Joe that's you know nine to five and yeah. you know, coming home at six and stuff like that. And, uh, or the, the weekend the indoors, warriors. The, the weekend warriors, sure. The the people that work the third shift, the overnight shifts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they cut, they're they're working in air condition and and they come home in air condition and you know everything's fine and dandy and stuff like that. But um, I, I briefly touched on people working outdoors and what they do and how they dress and they stay hydrated is number one. I mean, just drink a bunch of water. Lots of water. Yeah, lots of water. Alcohol, caffeine. Uh, uh-uh, this doesn't do the. And if you are drinking good. some alcohol, drink some water with that alcohol. Right, yeah, I'll have, have a beer and chase it with a with a twelve ounce bottle of water. There you, you know? go. I mean, that's that's just it's, it's a good way to stay hydrated. You'll feel better in the morning as well. Light colored, loose fitted clothing, because light colors reflect sunlight. Um, mm-hmm. I see some people out walking and jogging, and sometimes they're out in the peak heating, but that's that's what they want to do. And I wouldn't suggest it, but they do it. But they got a excuse me, a black shirt on, and black colors the absorbs heat. heat. Yeah, it in. So light-colored, loose-fitted clothing, sunscreen, a hat, um, take frequent breaks. Try not to overexert yourself uh, working out in the peak heating times. Try to get your stuff done in the mornings especially because that's when it's the coolest. Um, and, uh, again, just, just be smart. Um, and, and know if you start uh, becoming dizzy or, or you're sweating profusely, uh, and if, especially if you get a fever, um, and then you see somebody lose consciousness. If they have a high fever, sweating, and they lose consciousness, and you're around somebody, they suffered heat stroke, and that's worse than heat exhaustion. Heat exhaustion is bad as well. But I've, I've witnessed a couple of heat stroke uh, victims in, in my old business going out and doing these crap shows outside uh, for years, uh, and they're, they were sitting in their tent, covered, white tent. There was no breeze. They had no fan. And they hadn't had a, a drop of water in like four hours. Wow. So, here's the water situation. And so, just, just stay hydrated. So, 
you know, just be smart and, and take those precautions, and, and you should be fine. And the longer you work outside, again, you get acclimated to it to an extent. But those guys, you see the pop-up tents, a little little 10 by 10 pop-ups scattered all up and down these construction zones on the interstates and they're there for a purpose you know so people can take a break and sit down and and get hydrated yeah take a break if you have to again you don't need to be rushing off to an emergency clinic so take care of yourselves out there in this heat hey dan the, 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 with all these triple digits and, you know, whenever you guys, all the different meteorologists talk about it, it's like you're comparing it to like uh, 2012 or whatever. It seems like this may be looking closer and closer to like the summer of 1980. I was here for that. I think you were here for that. Can you com- yep. can you make a comparison for those who were not in North Texas in 1980 where it was it was that crazy heat? Yeah, and then again, 2011 was the other big heat wave. Oh, both yeah. Both of those were, 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 were record shatting as well. Um, they were both hot. On average, that's when you take the high temperature and the low temperature, okay, add them together, and then multiply by as many days or, or add in as many days there are, and then you do the, do the math on the average. But you take the high and the low temperature pretty much and average those together and then go out 90 days or whatever. 2011 – um, was actually hotter, or um, I'm sorry, 1980 was the hottest, but 2011 we had 72 triple-digit days. Woo. In 1980 we had 69 triple-digit days. So if you want to say how many times did we hit 100, 2011 wins. If you want to say which year was hottest, uh, 1980 was. Yeah, I think so in 1980 one of those days was like 113 degrees. Yep, that's the hottest ever in Texas. It happened twice, and it was at the end of June. Wow. I believe it was the 28th or 29th or the 29th and 30th of June, uh, and summer had just started. And, again, we were in a drought uh, and back in 1980, and also in 20, 2011 was the start of a four-year drought, actually, that went all the way uh, to uh, the spring of 2015. And I'm talking – below average when you do four years in a row and what happened in may of 2015 gainesville which is 60 miles north of fort worth saw 28 inches of rain in may 28 inches that's almost enough how much you see in a whole year and i think dfw saw around 19 to 20 inches so there's your drought uh flood it usually takes a flood (laughs) to break a drought so Tropical system comes up and stalls, cold yeah. front stalls across the area. So, again, it's hard to predict that far in advance. But with La Nina now forecast to be in place into early winter again, this will be year three. And that is very rare for these two patterns, La Nina and El Nino. It's usually about a year, and a year, year and a half, and mm-hmm. then it goes neutral, and then it switches back to the other one. But this will be the third um, winter possibly coming up with La Nina. So this dry weather pattern may continue uh, through the end of the year at least. Hard to predict temperatures, uh, but La Nina two years ago uh, gave us the minus three below zero temperature and power wreaked havoc and, and no one had power for days. Uh, and then last winter, oh yeah, uh, we saw some cold weather. And, and the grid happened. Precipitation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the grid happened. So, so Dan, real quick here, because... You, you mentioned, you know, we're not going to see significant rain, but there have been some days out of nowhere it just started raining hard in a particular part of North Texas, just pouring down rain, and then it goes away. What is that? Yep. Well, those are called pulse 
thunderstorms where they build up rapidly and usually there's not a lot of winds in the upper levels to to push the the clouds kind of away and let them move mm-hmm. so it's it, it kind of it's like blowing up a balloon and then you know how when we were kids and we just let it go yeah and and it would lose it there and it'd be done and that's kind of what it does it builds up its moisture and then it just falls to the ground very very rapidly due to the heat with the sinking air that it's building up into and kind of fighting it so it pushes it back to the ground so you can see an inch of rain in 15 minutes and sometimes of these things Um, and that's what those are i call them popcorn storms because there's usually not big clusters or a squall line of storms Mm -hmm. coming in but these are just if you're lucky you know it's then you get a good downpour a uh, couple of blocks long in your subdivision, you know. And then <laughs> so it's kind of the cloud that follows you around in the old cartoons we used to watch, you know. There's another phenomenon that was happening, and uh, you, like, I, want, I want you to shed some light on it. We're talking with Chief Meteorologist Dan Brunoff. Uh, the Sahara storm, the the dust that came through? The dust. Yeah, what was that? Yeah. It made beautiful uh, sunsets, but what is what did yeah. that do? You get dust storms in the Saharan Desert, which is pretty much north-central parts of Africa, central parts. And if they get big enough dust storms and that wind flow stays east to west, it travels, it travels thousands and thousands of miles. It takes about a week to get here. But if they have two or three consecutive dust storms out there, it just, it's like a conveyor belt. And then it bends. The winds bend more southeast once you get to the Gulf of Mexico as it approaches the western side of that ridge and comes right into north Texas. And, again, it makes those wild sunrises and sunsets. But it also can keep the temperatures down a few degrees as well if it's thick enough. Well, you know what, Dan? We're running out of time here. But before we let you get out of here, is there any advice you want to pass along to all of our listeners on how here in North Texas, how we can uh, manage ourselves through this heat? You mentioned about staying safe and staying staying hydrated and, and clothing and whatnot. Is there anything else you want to mention, like adjusting your temperatures in your home so the, the rolling blackouts may not be effective that long? Well, that's a, it's a touchy subject. I know a lot of people are, <laughs> have their opinions on ERCOT and there's memes. Right. And jokes, but, you know, t- take it seriously. You have a choice, pretty much. Do you want to go without power for two or three days and the temperature is 100 degrees outside? Or do you want to keep your thermostat at 78 during the hours of 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., um, which isn't bad. Again, you'll get acclimated to it. And maybe have a little rolling blackout for an hour or two, and then it comes back on. Would you rather do that, or would you rather have no power for two, three days? I hear pretty, you. Pretty easy to answer that question. I hear you. Hey, Dan, we got to so, do it again. In fact, we'll probably do it again, maybe in the in the in the winter time, because it's always good to hear from you when there's adjustments we have to make in these trying times with temperatures. Dan Brunoff. Yeah, exactly. Our chief, me. yes, our chief meteorologist with KRLD. I'm Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. Thank you for joining me. Tune in next week as we focus on other organizations or individuals doing great things and having a big impact here in Dallas-Fort Worth right here on Better Living. So long, everybody. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.